You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 98, by Rudolf Steiner, the listener's notes to 18 lectures, uh, entitled Nature and Spirit Beings, Their Activity in Our Visible World, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 8, given in Munich on the 4th of December, 1907, entitled The Elemental Kingdoms, Their Nature and Their Actions. What we have been accustomed to call the elemental kingdoms since ancient times is not as easy to understand as is usually thought after superficial observation. For these elemental kingdoms belong to that which lies behind the world of perception, behind that which imposes itself directly on the senses. The best way to gain access to such observation is to start from what is visible to the senses, from those realms that are available to human observation in the world of the senses, There we have four kingdoms spread out before the senses around us on the physical plane, the mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and the human kingdom. This is what everyone knows. Now let us be clear about what exactly we designate as these four kingdoms, because by no means everyone has a clear understanding of what these terms mean. That is also why it is not so easy to understand the first, second, and third elemental kingdoms, particularly when we talk about such difficult things. We must be aware from the outset that we do not arrive at any real goal if we believe that a concept which we have pinned down once, which we have put into a box once, can now also be retained in this form. In the physical sensory world, this is still possible. There, things stand side by side, nicely delimited from one another, like a book, a chalk, a rose. Here we can keep on assigning a term to each individual thing. Once we have named an object, then we can count on having something definite, something delimited. But if we go to the astral plane, which directly adjoins our world, which penetrates it as the closest It is no longer like that. There is a world of eternal motion. If you look at the astral body of the human being, that which flows around the human being as the aura and is the expression of drives, desires, and so on, you will see that this astral body of the human being is in a continual up-and-down flow of colors and forms which change at every moment. New colors shine forth, others disappear. That is how it is with the human being. Now, there are beings who buzz around on the astral plane. Their astral bodies do not belong to a physical body, but they are no less changeable and shifting. They are of a different form, color, and luminosity every second. Everything on this astral plane is the perpetual expression of what is the interior of these beings. We would be very much in a tight spot if we wanted to make our concepts there as rigid and unchanging as for the physical plane. We must adapt ourselves to the mobility of the forms, 
we must have flexible concepts, be able to apply a concept sometimes in this way, sometimes in that way. This is the case to a much greater extent in the still higher worlds. For a higher observation of the world, everything that is in the physical world is an expression of the forces and beings of those higher worlds. Such forces and beings are hidden in everything we see around us. That is precisely what constitutes the diversity of beings in the physical world. You see around you, for example, the mineral kingdom, all apparently lifeless beings on our earth, all minerals, belong to it. You are told at first that these minerals on earth have no etheric body, no astral body, no I, capital, of their own. But that only applies to the physical world. We must know this in order to be clear about what is on the physical plane. But if someone comes along and says, the mineral is something that only has a physical body, that is just as wrong as it is right if someone says, the mineral kingdom is something that only has a physical body on the physical plane. For the real spiritual way of looking at a mineral is that it has its physical body here on the physical plane and nothing else. If we wish to seek the etheric body, we must ascend to the astral plane. That is where the etheric body is to be found. The moment a person becomes an astral clairvoyant, they see the etheric body of the mineral on the astral plane and only its physical body here on the physical plane. And considered more comprehensively, the mineral also has an astral body, but this is not to be found on the astral plane, but we must look for it in the lower parts of the Devakan. The eye of the mineral is on the higher mental plane, on the Arupa mental plane. From there the mineral is directed by its eye, if you want to imagine this roughly, you must tell yourself, I think of a human being who is clairvoyant up to the Devakan plane. For this clairvoyant, who still sees on the Arupa plane, the minerals appear similar to the nails of the human being. For the minerals are, as it were, the nails of beings who have their eye on the upper Devakan. You cannot imagine the nails without the human being. It is the same with the mineral and its eye. Observe a rock crystal here on earth. If you look past it, the etheric body which animates the physical body is there in the astral world. But you would not be able to perceive there that anything hurts the mineral if you inflict something on it. You do not find pleasure and joy, suffering and pain of the mineral until the Devakan but quite differently from what we usually imagine. The mineral sense of pain is not like that of animals. You do not have to imagine that the mineral feels pain when you hammer and smash it. In a quarry, when the workers split the minerals, apparently damaging them, in the Devakan, this is a feeling of well-being, a feeling of pleasure for the minerals. So for them it is just the opposite from in the human and animal kingdoms. When you come to the Devakan plane, that is where you can meet the spirits of the minerals. But there it is not just the mineral that belongs to the mineral personality, but a whole system, just as your individual fingernails have no special souls. 
If anyone were to imagine that everything astral must be on the astral plane, they would be on the wrong track. It seems so obvious to look for the astral always on the astral plane. But a distinction must be made between the inner nature of a being and the environment in which it lives. Just as your eye has no physical nature and yet lives on the physical plane, so the astral body of the mineral does not live on the astral plane but in the lower devakan. We must not take these concepts schematically, but we must work our way through to the more exact determination of things. Let us now take the plant as we have it before us. Here on the physical plane, it has the physical body and the etheric body. It has both of these here. But where must you look for the astral body of the plant in the astral world? and the eye in the lower parts of the devakan. Let us go further up to the animal. The animal has the physical body, the etheric body, and the astral body in the physical sensory world, but it has the eye on the astral plane. That is to say, just as you meet the human being here as a person, as a self-contained individual, so you find the animal eyes on the astral plane as self-contained personalities. We have to think of it like this. All groups that have the same shape have a common eye. The human being differs from them in that each has an individual eye. On the astral plane we have the lion eye, the tiger eye, and so on. There they are self-contained beings. The individual species' eyes populate the astral plane just as human beings populate the physical sensory world. For the human being, however, the physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I have descended to the physical plane. But only in the waking state, in the sleeping human being, it is different. In the physical world, there is the physical body and the etheric body, and on the astral plane, the astral body and the I. Thus, in a sleeping state, the fourfold human being is distributed between the physical plane and the next higher plane, the astral plane. The human being is then equivalent to a plant on the physical plane. See the included table. Now, we have already become acquainted here with the different ways in which we have to apply the expressions astral and so on. We only come to a thorough understanding when we are clear that things cannot be moved around like pieces on a chessboard. If we now consider the human being themselves, we must look at this human being in the following way. We have the physical body, the etheric and astral body, and the eye. It has often been emphasized here that it is important that we are clear about the relationship of the four elements. It is easy to think that the physical body is the most imperfect and the lowest. In a certain respect, however, it is the most perfect, for it has passed through four successive stages of development on Saturn, the Sun, the Moon, and the Earth. The etheric body has only reached three degrees of perfection. It was only added to the physical body on the Sun. It is to rise higher one day, although today it is not yet as perfect as the physical body. The astral body was only added on the Moon. It has only reached a twofold degree of perfection. The eye is the baby among the four elements of the human being. It was only added on earth. It is only at the beginning of its development 
it has a continual corrupting effect on the other bodies. Anyone who, as an anatomist, looks at the wonderfully organized physical body is astonished at the perfection of the heart and the brain. How imperfect, on the other hand, are the desires, the urges of the eye. The eye has desires for wine, beer, and so on, which have a destructive effect throughout life. And yet, the physical body withstands these attacks for decades. Now we must understand how the eye was worked into the physical body and how it first came into being. First, there was the development of Saturn. That was the first phase of development for the precursor of our physical body. At that time, this physical body of the human being had the cosmic value of a mineral. If you look at a mineral of today, you have a backward stage of existence. It has preserved the stage which the physical body had on Saturn. But you must not imagine that the physical body would have looked like our present minerals. That would be quite wrong. The present minerals are the youngest forms of development. In particular, the human body was not so dense at that time. The density of the physical human body was very low. We have to picture the relationship between the material stages. The first is what we call earth, that is, everything that is called a solid body today, for instance, iron, copper, zinc, and so on. Everything that is solid is earth. Secondly, everything that is liquid is water, for example, mercury. Even if you make iron liquid, it is water. Any liquid metal is water in the meaning of spiritual science. Thirdly, if you make water evaporate or put anything in vapor form, even metal vapor, it is air. Spiritual science goes further still. It shows that air as such can be rarefied further, can pass into thinner states. Here we must go beyond the physical in the present. Here the spiritual researcher assumes warmth ether or fire. For the spiritual researcher, fire is something that belongs in the sequence of earth, water, and air, whereas present-day science sees it only as a state of the bodies. On Saturn, heat was the substance of the physical body of the human being. On the Sun, the physical body of the human being was condensed to the density of air. The etheric or life body embedded itself in it and reshaped the physical body. So, we have a physical body and an etheric body worked into it. This etheric body has one constitutional element. The physical body has two on the Sun. We must distinguish in the physical body on the sun a more perfect and a more imperfect part, such a part as has not yet been penetrated by the etheric body. In this picture of the physical body on the sun, we must think, the inner part has received nothing from the etheric body. It is of the same value as the physical body was already on Saturn. So that we have a part already on the plant level, which is interspersed with another part that is still on the mineral level. But the two interpenetrate each other completely, and there's a drawing. We now pass on to the physical body on the moon. Here it was already condensed down to water. The etheric and astral bodies are integrated into it. We must distinguish three different parts here. 
One is permeated by the etheric and astral body, one only by the etheric body, and one has remained mineral. See the drawing. Now we look at the physical body on earth. That is where the eye is added. On earth there are four interwoven elements. The first part is permeated by the etheric body, the astral body, and the eye. The second part by the etheric and astral bodies. The third part only by the etheric body. And a fourth element is still on the mineral level. It has the value of a mineral and is still at the Saturn stage. These four elements can be precisely distinguished in the physical body. The first element into which all four elements are worked is the red blood corpuscles. Wherever we have red blood, the four elements are worked into it, and there's a drawing. The nerves are the second element. Wherever there are nerves, the physical body, etheric body, and astral body are worked into them. Wherever there are glands, the physical body and etheric body are worked into them. All the sensory instruments, all the physical apparatus of the human being, have only reached the level of a mineral. They wholly follow the same laws as the minerals. Eyes and ears belong to the mineral inclusions. Even in the brain there are still such parts. You can see how tempting it is sometimes to become a materialist, because something that is mineral pervades the whole body. When the materialist says that the brain is mineral, they are partly right, if they consider only one part. In particular, there are very definite parts of the forebrain in which, although they are permeated by other influences, only mineral forces are active. If we were to consider bones and muscles, it would become even more complicated. Once the eye had moved into the human being, it began to work on the sentient soul, the mind soul, and the consciousness soul, and in doing so worked on the bones and muscles. It takes years just to keep these things properly apart, if we want to look at them precisely. We have to patiently proceed piece by piece. If we now have a sleeping human being before us, the physical body and the etheric body lie in bed. But this physical body is very complicated. When awake, the astral body and the eye work on it in the blood. When the physical body is in bed and the human being is asleep, what has happened? The things the etheric body can look after are still looked after, but the astral body and eye would have to be involved in sustaining the blood, so that death would come to the blood every night, for it is dependent on the eye and astral body. But the latter disloyally leave the body. The whole nervous system is also deserted, for which the astral body would also have to be involved. So we have before us the curious fact that the blood and nervous system should actually die every night. They would be at the mercy of death if it depended on the human being. Other beings must enter. Other beings must take over the work of the human being. Other beings must act from other worlds, so that they can maintain properly what the human being shamefully abandons. Let us try to explain to ourselves what these beings are that act on the human being, that give human beings the possibility of preserving their blood. We can get an idea of these beings in the following way. We ask ourselves, 
Where does the human eye actually reside when it lives here on the physical plane? In which of the three kingdoms? You must ask yourself, what can we actually recognize without clairvoyant perception? We can only recognize the mineral kingdom. That is the peculiar thing about the human being, that they do not even fully understand the plant as long as they do not possess astral clairvoyance. Because the human being now recognizes the mineral part of the plant, the materialists maintain that the plant is only a conglomerate of mineral processes. When the human being has worked to such an extent on themselves that they have reached the first stage of clairvoyance, then the life of plants and the laws of life will be just as clear to them as the laws of the mineral world are to us now. If you assemble a machine, if you build a house, they are built according to the laws of the mineral world. A machine is built according to the laws of the mineral world. But we cannot build a plant in this way. If you want to have a plant, you must leave this work to the beings that underlie nature. Later on, it will be possible to produce plants in the laboratory, but not until this is a sacrament, a sacred act for the human being. The human being will only be allowed to depict the living when they have become so serious and purified that the laboratory bench has become their altar. Before then, not the slightest thing will be revealed about how living beings are assembled. In other words, the eye as a knowing entity lives in the mineral kingdom and will ascend to the plant kingdom and will then learn to comprehend this just as it does the mineral kingdom today. Later it will also learn to comprehend the laws of the animal kingdom and then those of the human kingdom. All human beings will learn to comprehend the interior of the plant, the animal and the human being. These are future perspectives. We can depict what we truly understand, for example, a clock. Human beings today will never be able to depict anything from living nature without the help of the beings who stand behind nature, for as long as this is not a sacramental act for them. Only then will they ascend from the mineral kingdom to the kingdom of the plants. The human being is human today, but they only have a cognition in the mineral kingdom. The human eye lives in human form. But when the human eye looks into the environment, it only has cognition in the mineral kingdom. This eye, therefore, only has the ability to fill the blood with life in mineral form, for it can do no more. Even if the eye lives in the blood during the day, inhabits it, and fills it with life, it does so only at the mineral level. How does it do that? When you look into the world, your cognition opens up to you the laws of the mineral kingdom. Notice this particular way of human activity. You look out with your senses and you take in the laws of the mineral and imprint these laws on the blood while you are awake. You force them into all of the blood. You enliven the blood in a mineral way. This is the peculiar course of what happens in cognition. If you imagine a human being schematically, and there's a drawing, the laws of the mineral world flow in on them from all sides. But these laws do not stop at the sense organs. 
but flow with the blood through the whole body of the human being in an awake state. What does the plant world do? You will find out what it is like with the plant if you consider the following carefully. You have always been told that the I works on the other bodies and transforms the astral body into the spirit self. To the same extent that this happens, the laws of the plant kingdom flow into the nervous system of the human being. When the human being reaches the next stage of clairvoyance, the laws of the animal kingdom flow into their glandular system, and when the human being works to transform the physical body, the laws of the human kingdom itself flow into the human body. All this is related to the waking state and the states of the higher clairvoyant consciousness. So the human being has now reached the stage where the eye allows the laws of the mineral kingdom to flow into the blood. The eye can only do this when awake. Only then do the mineral laws enter the blood. When the human being is asleep, the blood must also be supplied. And because work has been done on the blood through four stages, three other powers must enter. First of all, a power that is most closely related to the way the eye works into the blood. This power is one that has not descended to the physical plane. The blood would die if another eye did not work on it while the human being was asleep. Another eye, which has remained above on the astral plane, intervenes and temporarily takes over the work on the blood. If we consider human blood this special fluid, the eye of the human being acts on it on the physical plane, while awake. During the night, an eye acts on the blood that is on the astral plane. There are such eyes. Now, I have previously mentioned to you eyes on the astral plane, the group eyes of the animals. Now we have another species of eyes that lives on the astral plane and have an effect on the human being and enliven the blood while the human eye has left it. With what? What do they bring into the blood? The thing which must be in the human body since Saturn. Fire warmth. These are spirits who have never descended to the physical plane, spiritual beings, who live on the astral plane and have a body of fire. In the mineral realm, everything appears to us in a certain state of heat. Thus you encounter heat in your environment as a property of solid, liquid, and aeriform bodies. Now, think of heat as something separate that does not exist on the physical plane. But on the astral plane you will find such heat flowing to and fro, such fire, which moves to and fro as an independent entity and embodies beings within it, just as we ourselves were on Saturn. These enter the blood at night and enliven it with their warmth. But something else must happen as well, for the blood is also left by the astral body and the latter too is necessary to form it. So it is not enough for these eye-beings to approach at night and work on the human being with their warmth body, but they must be joined by beings who can work the blood in the same way as the astral body does. These beings have their eye on the Devakan plane. 
this eye has a much higher body, which is not even condensed to the point of heat. The eye that I first described has never descended to the physical world. It has remained on the astral plane. The second eye has descended still less deeply. It has never entered the astral plane and has remained on the Devakan plane. It penetrates the blood and does the same in it as the human astral body does during the day. So you see how we are indeed sheltered and protected in the night by higher beings who do not live in the mineral kingdom. The eye of the human being descended to the mineral kingdom and will then ascend to the plant kingdom, and so on. These other eyes have gradually lagged behind the human kingdom. They form the hidden kingdoms, the elemental kingdoms, which lie behind our physical world and which work into our physical world. The first being that works in the blood at night has a warmth body, just as you have a physical body. It penetrates the blood with warmth and lives on the astral plane in the warmth body. And through this warmth body, it belongs to the third elemental kingdom. These beings of the third elemental kingdom are the comrades of the group souls of the animals. They belong to the same region. And these eyes, what can they actually do? They do not need to be able to do what the human eye can do, which has descended into the physical sensory world, but they can replace the human eye from the astral plane. These eyes have an effect from the astral plane, like the animal group eyes on the animals. That's why we see them as similar beings to the animal group eyes. That is, they enliven the astral body of the human being with drives, desires, and passions. If we now have an astral body before us, what lives in this astral body? Apart from the eye, there are still beings living in it that have their eye on the astral plane. They permeate the astral body like maggots through cheese. This is the third elemental kingdom. This kingdom forms the drives and passions that are animal. Behind it lies another kingdom, the second elemental kingdom. It works and creates in a purer element. It shapes and structures the forms of the plants. It also works in human beings on their many plant elements, nails, hair, and so on. These are not permeated by the astral body, but only by the etheric body. Hence, they are not sensitive to pain. The hair and nails are such products from which the astral body has already withdrawn. One can cut them without causing pain. Formerly, the astral body was in them. Much in the human being is of a plant nature, and the beings of the second elemental kingdom work into the whole of this plant nature. So what builds up the body in the plant are forces of the second elemental kingdom, the plant eye, which pervades the etheric and astral bodies, and these beings of the second elemental kingdom work together in the plants. The plant eye on the Devakan plane is a comrade of the beings of the second elemental kingdom. And while the plant eye works on the plant from within, these beings work from outside, form it, make it open up, make it blossom. 
the whole plant is permeated by the etheric body. However, the plant does not have its own astral body, but the whole astral body of planet Earth is the common astral body of the plants. The eye of the plants is in the center of the Earth for all plants. All the group eyes of the plants are centralized in the center of the Earth. That is why it is that when you uproot the plant you hurt the Earth. But when you pluck a flower, it is the same feeling of well-being for the Earth as it is for the cow when the calf suckles the milk. It is also a wonderful impression when the crops and grain are reaped in autumn, how then great streams of well-being flow over the earth. The beings who work from the second elemental kingdom and make the plants sprout into their form fly to the plant from all sides like butterflies. They work on the repetition of the leaves, blossoms, and so on. This is what acts from the second elemental kingdom. There is equally a first elemental kingdom, and this gives the minerals their form. The animals have the shape of their instincts from the beings of the third elemental kingdom. The leaves and so on of the plants are formed by the second elemental kingdom. It works mainly in repetitions. The formative powers of the minerals, which work out of formlessness, are to be found in the higher Devakan. These three elemental kingdoms interpenetrate, flow into each other. Anyone who imagines them as being separate can never arrive at real ideas. In the plant kingdom you have the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom inserted into each other. In the animal kingdom you have the same for the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom. In the human being the I is added. The human kingdom only came into being on earth when the I moved in. It is the I that makes the human being human. It finds its expression in the blood. But the I can only cognitively penetrate the mineral kingdom. It must leave the other kingdoms to the beings of the elemental kingdoms. The mineral kingdom also contains, apart from the mineral kingdom, the first elemental kingdom. Hence we have a formed mineral kingdom. The plant only has a shape through the second elemental kingdom, otherwise it would be spherical. The animal is equipped with instincts and so on because there is, additionally, the third elemental kingdom. Our world is something that is interwoven. Only when we make our concepts fluid do we gradually come to understand the matter. If we want to imagine how the third elemental kingdom works in the animal kingdom, we can illustrate it with an example. You all know the flight of birds. Birds have very specific paths for their migration, from northeast to southwest, from southwest to northeast. Who is directing these movements? The group souls of the birds. These flights express the instinct for regular migration across the earth. The species or group souls of the animals direct them. On the other hand, the beings of the third elemental kingdom, the comrades of the animal group souls, give the animal the form so that it can have this instinct, so that it has a carrier for the instinct. Simplified, we might say, those eyes, which are the group souls of the animals, are one society on the astral plane. 
another society, are the beings of the third elemental kingdom. But they have to work together in a state of harmony, the one giving the instincts, the other giving the bodies, shaping and forming them, so that the instincts can come to expression. The physical forms of the plants come from the beings of the second elemental kingdom. Everything that creates form in the minerals are the beings of the first elemental kingdom. The forces of the minerals, what works as repulsion and attraction, the atomistic forces, originate in the group eyes of the minerals. What gives form to the minerals are the beings of the first elemental kingdom. Here a perspective opens up as to where we should look for the effects of the kingdoms in our world, but we have to engage with these things very precisely. Thus we might say to the plant, You are a living being. You owe that to the plant I. But the beings of the second elemental kingdom give you your form. Thus the different kingdoms now join together. There are seven of them. The first elemental kingdom is the one that gives form to minerals, for example crystals. The second elemental kingdom works in the shaping of plant forms. The third elemental kingdom enlivens the blood in sleep and at the same time shapes the instinctive life of the animals. The mineral kingdom is the one in which an eye can work into the mineral kingdom. The plant kingdom is the one into which an eye can form a plant world. The animal kingdom is the one into which an eye can form an animal world. The human kingdom is the one into which an eye can form a human world. From this we can see that patience is necessary to penetrate spiritual science. The world is built in a complicated way. The highest truths are not the simplest. It is an extremely foolish boast to assert that the highest things can be grasped in the simplest terms. It comes only from convenience. We realize that we cannot understand a clock immediately, but we want to understand the world immediately. If we want to know the divine, we need endless patience because the divine contains everything. To understand the world, we want to apply the simplest concepts. This is convenience, however piously the soul says it. The divine is deep and eternal time is needed to understand it. The human being certainly carries the spark of divinity within themselves, but only in gathering the cosmic facts can we understand the essence of the divinity. We must first learn the great patience and sacrifice that is needed for knowledge. We must mature to a judgment. The world itself is infinite in every respect. And we must have the modesty to say that everything is only half true, as it were. Everything must be transformed into moral impulses, even the division of the human being into ten and twelve elements. Spiritual science gives pictures to which the feelings should connect themselves. Spiritual science is only worth something if we not only draw knowledge from it, but are filled with the noblest feelings for the profundity of our surroundings. The longing for the divine will be all the greater, because the divine appears to the human being to have moved away to distant heights. They should work all the harder to become strong in order to reach it again. The end of Lecture 8